today on Laura Lynn and Friends. They can be fussy, they can be whiny, and I remind myself, you know what, dude? You could be in solitary confinement missing out on this right now, so, so be thankful that, you, uh, that you're here with your kids. And so I cherish every single moment, the little things, seeing the stars, seeing the sun, feeling grass, feeling the wind, hearing the birds chirp. You don't get any of that in solitary confinement. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the beginning of The Last Days. My name is Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson, and it is awesome to be with you. I'm sure you've been watching as uh, all of this footage is coming out regarding January 6th, what happened in the United States of America. So I am really excited. We have somebody who was there. We have somebody uh, who's actually served time because of it. And uh, he's here to talk to us about it. Y'all know that I love to start every single show with, let me just move. Things are not quite set up right on my, oh my goodness, look at you guys can like see the my cup and the cup screen. Can you see that? <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> okay, having a little bit of fun. Um, so I love to start the show by reading from my dad's Bible. He passed away a couple of years ago, and um, he was such an incredible man, a man of the word. He loved God's uh, principles, and so he has underlined this Bible from stem to stern. It's old. It's kind of falling apart. I treasure it. I'll treasure it the rest of my life, and I hope that my kids will treasure it, but um, Psalms 106, I only read to you what he ever underlined, and I can pretty much find something on every page, you know. So uh, it opened up to Psalms 106, verse 47, Save us, O Lord our God. Gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto your holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Amen. So God is a God of justice. He's a vindicator. And when David was crying out to be saved, it's because people were trying to kill him. Literally, they were actually trying to kill him. And with spears and swords, and he needed God to save his very life. Well, these days, with what's going on in the world, uh, we're not far from those times, are we? So let me introduce you to an incredible man. And uh, what an incredible story. We're going to get to the bottom maybe some of the truths that the media hasn't allowed us to tell. Derek Evans, as a J6 prisoner and former state legislator, Derek is best positioned to speak on the J6 footage that has just been released. Um, he was there on January 6th. He's a patriot. He peacefully protested Joe Biden's... Uh, are we allowed to say the stuff about the... Um, the, the election. election? He was, um, election. yeah, he was there to kind of protest some things he thought were going on in the country regarding the election. Um, so, and uh, yeah, we'll just go with that. <clears throat> and he's been endorsed by General Mike Flynn, Mike Lindell, Kim Klasik, and Veterans for Trump. He's an incredible man who paid an incredible price. He had eyes right on the event that took place. And we're going to ask him some important questions today. So Derek, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for taking time to be with us. We appreciate it so, so incredibly. How are you doing today? You're, you're kind of watching some vindication happen before everyone's eyes. I am. And thank you guys so much for having me on the show. And, and I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Derek, you were actually there. I wonder if we should start. So um, you're a former state legislator. Is is that the title? Uh, what? Yeah, what yeah. Would... So it's, it's, 
I was a state rep in the state of West Virginia. So it's the, I was elected to the state house in West Virginia in 2020. I was the, the first Republican to win my district in over 98 years. And I won the landslide victory, but that uh, joy was short lived as I came home and, and turned on the TV and saw what, in my opinion, not your network's opinion, but in my opinion, was the uh, the presidential election being stolen from President Trump and the American people? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and so uh, you you were there. Should, should we start by showing? Um, maybe just set it up. Like, uh, what was it like? Did you have to travel a long ways from Virginia to to get to Washington? Yeah, I'm on the other end. I'm on the western side of West Virginia, right on the Kentucky and Ohio border. So it's about an eight hour drive uh, to get there. Uh, I rode a bus with a bunch of patriots from my local area, and we we went there that day to peacefully and patriotically uh, exercise our natural God-given rights of free speech. Wow, exactly. Peacefully and patriotic, patriotically. So this is your video. Let's have a listen. Let's go! Hey, God bless you. Hey, God bless you, sir. What a great message you were there to definitely peacefully um, go, you know, and, and march and stand for what you thought. So by the time you got to that era, kind of paint the picture um, of how you got in there, because is this what you got sort of in trouble for? Because that seemed like a really good message. Why would you get, you know, put in jail? I was facing, not only did I go to prison for that, I was facing 24 years in prison for what you just saw in that video. So, so that's, that's the corruption. That's how weaponized our government is right now against conservatives. As you heard, I did more, in my opinion, I did more to uh, keep the crowd under control than the police officers did. I, I'm the one that's reminding everybody to, to be peaceful and nonviolent. And, and for the record, I didn't see any violence or destruction that day. I was never accused of any violence or destruction because I didn't, I didn't partake in anything like that. I was on the east side of the building it was a very uh, peaceful, eventful day. I mean, we had a street preacher who came by and uh, church service broke out for a little bit and people sang and worshiped. And uh, there were veterans in wheelchairs. There were parents uh, and families and, and baby strollers. I mean, it was a, it was a really just a, honestly the most patriotic uh, day of my entire life, flags and such everywhere. Uh, what, the, the moment there, I, those doors opened from the inside. Uh, we already knew that session that Congress had, had, had went into recess, if you will. And so the doors opened up. I walked through an open set of doors. And as you saw, I went, went straight over to that police officer uh, to thank him. And, and kind of really in that mindset, my mindset was, you know, if I'm not allowed to be in here, he's going to tell me to leave. And that was kind of what my, I was, I was kind of filling it out. In hindsight, I wish I would just straight up asked, hey, am I allowed to be here? Uh, but obviously I was. Um, and if it, no one told you told to leave. leave mm -hmm. Yeah, I would have left, you know. And so for, for those actions, I was facing 24 years in prison. Wow. So when you say that you kind of walked through open doors, um, so I've seen all kinds of different video 
at times, uh, I've seen, you must know that one where the guy's up against a door and he's like yelling because he's getting crushed, you know, against a door. Where would that have been from where you walked in? That was on the exact opposite side of the building. So all the all the footage that people have seen on the, the news or, you know, in the media or social media in, in terms of any sort of violence or people being combated with police or any of those things, the destruction, the breaking of windows, the people climbing on the side of the, the building and the walls, all of that, 100% of that happened on the west side of the building. Uh, for anyone who's never been there, it's a huge building. I actually mapped it out when I was still fighting my legal battle, uh, fighting for my freedom to get from where I was at to get to where uh, those events took place was over a half a mile walk. Uh, actually, a little bit longer than that that day because you couldn't go through the grass. So it was over a half a mile walk uh, to get there. So I had no clue uh, that any of those things were happening. I actually uh, had told them I wish I would have seen those things. I wish I would have been over there because I would not have uh, participated in anything uh, in terms of you know fighting with police officers or anything like that. Okay, and you know what? This is the first time I've understood that you were somewhere um like 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 that it didn't all happen right there in front yeah. so like this is uh, very interesting so you didn't see anything now why do you think the other side had such a problem and your side was it relatively the peaceful side then yeah and so uh i want to make it clear and, and that's a great point i'm glad you brought that up is you know the building is huge and so every single person who was at a different area of that building had a different experience on that day, even different experience based on what time you may have arrived there or have been there on that side of the building. And so really the, the, the violence that people have seen on TV is really in just one concentrated area on the west side of the building, particularly in the, in the tunnel area. That is where over, you know, I would say 90% of, of all of that took place. And so if you were on the north side, the south side, the east side, uh, even some parts of the west side, you never would have seen those, uh, those, those actions taking, taking place. And, and for the record, even that particular area, and, and it's going to be seen now that the footage is coming out, uh, there, there's a lot of other good footage already. It's been released. But uh, even the area where the violence uh, took place, the crowd was peaceful until the police officers started shooting uh, concussion grenades and tear grass into a peaceful crowd of women and children. And uh, that is what really got the crowd riled up to begin with. I'm not making excuses for, you know, for fighting police officers or anything like that, but uh, it was definitely peaceful until the uh, Metro police started firing upon the crowd. Okay. And I saw that. Is that the, um, the little hand grenades that a police yep. officer, like, have you seen that footage? You know what I'm talking about? Where, yep. Uh, yeah, do you, oh, let's, let me, let me show you a clip that we got from Redacted of some of this footage, and then I'll get your comment. Go ahead. What you see here is at 1.06 p.m. when these shots are first fired from Capitol Police, they're on the balcony, and they fire at... I'm giving warnings about chemical munitions. I need the left and lethal team positioned above me to start deploying. And fire. Look at the lower left-hand part of your screen. Boom. Hit in the face. Okay, boom. Right there with the paintball. Hit in the face pierces his cheek, okay? And just to recap again, so here we go. Fires right here, Fire shots open, and fire into the crowd at 107 p.m. Boom, right into the face and onto the right side, impact on both of those areas. People start saying, well, what are you doing? Like, we're peaceful. Oh my God. And there he is with a paintball uh, into his face. 
and I don't think that's an actual paintball. Those must be some special kind because paintballs don't do their 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 pepper balls. I believe is usually what police fire. So I'm not sure exactly what that munition was that pierced his cheek. I mean, I. So you can see this crowd is it is not rushing the barricades until they're hit until they're hit with all of these different flashbang grenades. They're flashbangs on us. And they let them know that they're, they're number one. Into their own people. We supposed to be supporting Blue Lives Matter. We represent Blue Lives and this is what they do to us. Sting by the point! Sting by the point! Now you can see all the body cam footage here from the police, the Capitol Police. There's a lot of grenades being used, a lot of sting balls and rubber rubber ball grenades being thrown. This guy loves throwing them. He's having a blast just tossing them over there. He's got a big bag of them like Santa Claus. Keep lobbing them. You got more in there, Santa Claus? All right, we get, give me some more of those. Yeah, give me some more of those sting balls. It's amazing how you need those now that you fired on. Never thrown the concussion grenades. If they'd never used a pepper spray, this wouldn't have happened. It was a peaceful protest. I was standing within 15 feet of the line of officers. They started firing at us before anybody did anything to them. We were not rushing them. There was no advance on them. They just started throwing concussion grenades and pepper spray. Wow. So that that we just saw, that was on the other side, would you Correct. say? Correct. That was on the west side. Of the, the only thing I know about that area is just footage that I've seen. Uh, like people such as yourself have seen the footage. I wasn't in that crowd or in that particular area, so I didn't know that took place during, mm. you know, in during on that day. I didn't find out until afterwards. Uh, but uh, there's so much evidence to prove that they just started. And, and even the guy right there who's throwing those grenades, like, he doesn't even know who he's throwing them at. He's just throwing them into a crowd of people. I mean, there's, like I said, there's children, there's women, there's elderly people, and he's just chucking them out into the out into the crowd. That's what got that crowd riled up. That is the area where you end up seeing all the violence and stuff later, but you saw who instigated that and started firing on the crowd. That's what it looks like to me, um, is that... Uh, that's what it looks like to me, is that... Um, the the if if that hadn't all happened i think that they felt like they were in some sort of like danger uh people were being hurt that looked like it could land on someone i don't know how those things work but that looks heavy it could hit someone in the head and potentially kill someone well and the concussion grenades have been proven as well with that that impact on there it can cause heart attacks and such as well to people and so the whole thing was just it made it created chaos and i think that I don't know if that was their plan, but that's that's the biggest part of it, is it caused chaos amongst the crowd. Otherwise, the crowd was peaceful. They were singing, they were chanting, they were you know just just fellowshipping with each other. And then that, when that started, there was no more. Uh, it was just all mass chaos. It was very chaotic, and that's kind of what when things started escalating and getting out of hand. Okay, so on back on your side, uh, uh, you were you with a whole bunch of people. Nobody was bashing doors in. Um, was there a police, uh, did you have to get past a, a police block or anything like that in order to access the Capitol? 
So when I was uh, on the east side of the building, they had these those bicycle racks uh, out there first. And there was, I mean, there's thousands of people back there. I was in the middle of, of the section and like the middle of the building. And to our, let's see, I'm just trying to make sure, the north, uh, to, to, so the northeast corner, um, there's only like 15 police officers back there for thousands of people. The, the, a group to the northeast corner just moved the barricades, the bicycle racks, and started walking in with their hands up and just walking peacefully towards the building. And at that point, people from the south started doing the same thing. And then those police officers kind of just let everybody come through at that point. Um, and so then at, at that point, the, the police officers were at the top of the steps and everybody was on the steps of the Capitol, but nobody was rushing and trying to get past there or anything like that. And so anyone who came after that time, there's a lot of people who did and who even went to prison, they never would have even seen the, the, the original bicycle racks that what we didn't know, there were no signs on these bicycle racks or anything like that. But what we didn't know is the moment you crossed the line where the bicycle racks had previously been, even if you showed up an hour later, if you crossed that line where the bicycle racks had previously been, you, you uh, uh, supposedly, allegedly entered into a restricted area and broke the law at that point. We didn't know that. I didn't know that when, when I walked through that. I mean, I saw the bicycle racks earlier. Now there's hundreds of people in there. The police officers are back there. It doesn't seem like a big deal. So I walked on up up towards the steps with everyone else. A little bit later, the I'm, I'm assuming now, I didn't know this at the time, but I'm assuming now that those police officers went to the other side of the building uh, to kind of help out over there. I, I don't know that for sure. There's still, I have a lot of my own questions. That's why I'm excited that the footage is getting released. We just want the truth out there. So then those police officers left that area on the east side of the building and everyone went on up the steps and was, and once again, nobody was breaking anything. I thought that was as far as we were going. I was completely content with not going any further. You know, I, I was just, I was just happy to be there and, and with my fellow Americans. And then when the doors started open and I mean, yeah, I walked inside like everybody else, but nobody thought it was a big deal at the time when we walked in there. And even, and even here's the thing, even if they want to say, okay, you trespassed, uh, which I don't know how you can trespass on property that the taxpayers own, but if they wanted to say that, <laughs> yeah. that's fine. But typically that would, you would get a ticket in the mail and pay like $50 fine or something. You know, you don't, you don't, the FBI doesn't come to your house with uh, military tanks and flashbang innocent families and rip people away from their families and send them to prison over trespassing. That's that's what makes this whole thing so unique and so egregious. It is my understanding that they never found any guns amongst the crowd. So uh, worst takeover ever of trying to usurp a government in a, in a land that allows, I mean, uh, what I heard was that there was um, no guns unless you have other information, but um, you were all <coughs> basically there to to stand up for your country. Yeah, we're the most armed uh, you know citizens in the entire world, uh, not just in America in general, but I mean the conservatives, the the Republicans, the Trump supporters. You know, we have more uh, guns and ammunition than most militaries. And to, so to your point, I mean, we showed up there unarmed, uh, which is obvious proof that we were there peacefully protesting. Uh, I, I tell everybody I showed up with a with a cell phone and an American flag and pride in my heart. And uh, apparently that's what I'm guilty of. Apparently the, the government thinks that I'm Jason Bourne and I'm capable of overthrowing a government with nothing but a cell phone and an American flag, I suppose. Wow. Uh, yeah. G good point. Um, Jay, um, the, uh, the shaman, did you ever see the shaman who kind of walked in and he took his seat? I, I saw him also praying and he spent a good portion of time in jail as well. 
Yeah, he's a good dude. He's a true patriot. Uh, I did not see him that day, but uh, definitely been been following each other. You know, since he's got out of prison, uh, he's a great guy. The, the media really messed up. They tried to paint him as this uh, crazy extreme guy and, and made him, you know, one of the faces, of, if not the face of January 6th. And he gets out of prison and he's very well spoken. He's very articulate. He's very smart. And I think that right now they're regretting uh, making him uh, the face of all of this because it's currently backfiring on them. Right. Did did you celebrate when uh, Tucker Carlson got a hold of video that basically um, exonerated the shaman, Jason? Yeah, yeah. Jacob? So that was yeah, yeah. It was it was it was really good. And so it was for for those those of us in the January sixth community, it was nothing new in terms of we'd already seen all that footage. But Tucker Carlson had such a huge platform. We were so excited that. Um, he, you know, shared his platform to, to get that footage out to the, the normal people out there, the average American, the Ameri average person across the world for that matter. And I'm so happy that he, uh, showcased Jake's story specifically just because of the way the media had portrayed him up to that point. It really, that is really when I think a lot of people across the country and across the world started opening their eyes and started for the first time saying, wait a second, uh, something's not adding up here, you know, because they had been made to believe that. Jacob was this, you know, just this terrible, evil domestic terrorist. And and then you see the the footage of <laughs> these guys walking him around. Uh, you, you start to see see the other side of that. You know, early on when this just happened, um, I don't know if I got the footage before it was taken down or whatever. I remember seeing him like I liked the guy right away because he, he said a prayer in there. Um, you know, um, it. It just, he wasn't scary at all. And so when we found out that he was serving all this time, I mean, prayers went up for all of you that were facing charges because it was very evident that uh, whatever did transpire there, that there was a lot of really good people. And, you know, we've had uh, doctors that were incarcerated that have been on this show Um who were just there because everyone was sort of milling. And like you said, the, the, uh, you know, the officers didn't tell you to leave. And so they felt that they were well within their rights. Nobody was ordering them out and, you know, ended up having to do the same kind of time uh, that you did as well. So with your story, how long were you in there? Yeah, so what's that's what's crazy. I'm actually as crazy as my story is. I'm fortunate compared to so many other people. So I had an 18 month legal battle. I was one of the very first people arrested. I was arrested two days after January 6th. I was arrested on January 8th, and part of that was because I was the highest ranking government official they could get their hands on. I was the only elected Republican at the time to be arrested for January 6th, and so um, I had an 18 month legal battle, which pretty much bankrupted my entire family. Uh, and then after wow. that, I ended up getting sentenced to three months in federal prison. And I did eight days of solitary confinement because I refused the COVID vaccine while they were holding me hostage. Wow. Oh, so so on top of it all, uh, when everyone's fighting for freedom and fighting for for truth, you don't want to take the COVID vaccine inside the um, inside the prison. And that meant eight days of solitary and what what does a brain go through when you're eight days in solitary confinement you know solitary confinement is something that's really honestly hard to even put into words uh you know humans are 
naturally we're social creatures and you know it's it's really it's difficult to explain but your mind is so powerful in a weird way i'm thankful for that experience it's the closest i've ever been to god and i remember uh you know i've always been raised and taught to try to find the good in any situation and so i quickly you know uh, the first 12 to 12 hours or so is just kind of shock. You're just kind of taking it all in and decompressing everything. But then I started looking around. I was like, you know what, what are some positives here? And I realized I was on the third floor of, of, of the building and uh, out my little cell area, out my little area, I could, I could see basically a window across this little walkway. I mean, it's covered in, in a cage and, you know, bars and wire and everything, but I could, I, I could see out this window and I could see a fire hydrant and I could see a tree. And by the grace of God, I was facing West and so I would watch the shadows of the the tree and the um and and the fire hydrant. When I got to a very distinct spot, I would ask the guard what time it was, and most of the guards would tell you. Some of them wouldn't, but most of the guards would tell you. And so by around the, the end of day two, the beginning, of, you know, halfway through day three, I could tell what time it was roughly by looking outside at the shadows and getting the concept of time again was uh was was a very, was a huge victory for myself because uh, before that you could lay down and take a nap. You didn't know if you napped twenty minutes, two hours. You you didn't know, and that 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 lack of concept of time was very difficult. And I, I just got through every day by just telling myself that uh, I'm getting out tomorrow. You know, you're, you're getting out of here tomorrow. It's just push through for one more day. It's not a big deal. Finally, on day five, I got a book uh, that that made things a little bit better, you know, to have, have something to read and to occupy a little bit. But, you know, back to how powerful the mind really is. You know, I started remembering uh, excellent memories for that, for that, for the record, but I started remembering childhood memories that I either forgot about or just never remembered before, such as you know, I, remember, I can now because of that, I, I remember, you know, two to three years old uh, ho hoeing potatoes in the garden with my grandparents. And, you know, it's just little things like that. And, and I, so once again, I'm, I'm thankful for the experience. It's maybe a better person, it's maybe a better husband and a better father. I, I've got four kids and I remember sitting in there thinking I wouldn't care what we were doing. I wouldn't care if they were fussy. I wouldn't care if they were whiny. I wouldn't care about any of that thing. Those things I just want to be with my kids. And so now uh, I might be tired. I might be busy. I might be doing something. My little girls come over and say, hey, will you color with me? I Look, I might only color for 30 seconds to a minute, depending on how busy I am, but I'm going to color for a few seconds. My little boys can come over to me and they say, hey, let's, let's play cars, let's play monster trucks, let's, let's uh, you know, play in the dirt or something. I'm, I'm going to make time for it. They can be fussy, they can be whiny. And I remind myself, you know what, dude, you could be in solitary confinement missing out on this right now. So, so be thankful that, you, uh, that you're here with your kids. And so I cherish every single moment, the little things, seeing the stars, seeing the sun, feeling grass, feeling the wind, hearing the birds chirp. You don't get any of that in solitary confinement. Wow. Uh, what an experience to, to actually change your perspective for the rest of your life. As hard as it was, it, it kind of taught you something that many of us will, will probably never spend time in solitary that way. That's actually a, a real gift uh, to you. Do you think that it's kind of uh, propelled you to think differently or, or understand what we're up against um, in North America with the, I mean, trying to hide the truth on these matters, this is very grave and very scary. You know, when I had a chance to sit in there and decompress a little bit, you got to remember up to that point, I was still fighting for my freedom. And then I'm preparing for prison and trying to get things done around my house to make it easier on my wife and my children. And, and so when I was in there, it was really the first time I really had a chance to fully take it all in, I guess, and decompress and, and really start. And, and yes, uh, sitting in there, I guess it's when it really truly hit home just how powerful uh, the this globalist elite people are that, that's trying to take over our world. Uh, the fact that um, the fact that I was sitting in prison because my government um, basically had it out for me, made it a little bit harder to swallow, if you will. 
and uh, I'm sitting in there knowing the truth and knowing that the American people in the world don't know the truth. And it was really difficult to kind of, I guess, piece that together as to, you know, how do I make these people aware of what's really happening right now? I, honestly, I, there were days sitting in there. I never, my wildest dreams imagined that we would be having this conversation today where people were actually getting to see the truth and, and understand what really took place. Wow. Um, it, uh, you said that you were um, arrested just days after this happened. Did you think you were getting arrested? Uh, yes and no. So um, once again, I didn't think that I'd done anything wrong. But um, so my face was all over every national, even worldwide news network you could think of. I mean, BBC from Britain, those liberal bums, they came over here to my house all the way from Britain and, and wanted an interview. I mean, so my face was everywhere because I was the person that they used to paint the narrative and say, look, the, 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 these were uh, elected Republicans who, who attacked our capital, if you will. And so um, my concern was that they were going to think I was a part, you know, at this point, I started seeing the violence, the videos of people destroying property and, and, and battling with police officers and such. And so my concern was that they thought I, they were going to think I was in that crowd, if you will. And so uh, we reached out to the, uh, I got a, I got an attorney, a, a local friend here who's an attorney reached out to me and said, Hey, let's just go ahead. You're fine, but let's just go ahead and, and do this just now just to be safe. And I'll reach out to him. And so I did that on, on the morning of January 7th. And, and cause I was already, I was all over the media that night. And, um, so on January 7th, he reaches out to them and says, Hey, I'm representing this guy. His face is everywhere. He, he you know, he hasn't done anything, but if you want to speak with him, uh, he's got children, you know, like young kids. Just just give us a call. He'd be more than happy to come down. I mean, I have billboards everywhere at this point because I'm just coming out of a campaign. And so um, partly uh, no, because I didn't do anything that I felt deserved to be arrested. But I was I knew there was a lot of media pressure surrounding it. So I thought that I thought they was going to at least want to question me. Uh, but I didn't really uh, think that they were going to just the FBI was just going to come to my house and, you know, storm my, my house with 15 agents and and rip me away from my family. the way. Is they that, did. that what that, happened? That Is that how it yeah. went down? Yep. Describe yep. that for me. So what time of day was that? Yeah. So it was a, it was a Friday, uh, January 8th. And uh, the media had just showed up. They had been gone most of the day on January 8th and the media showed up. And I thought that was a little weird. Um, and so the media shows up and about 15 minutes later, I see the feds rolling up my driveway. Uh, I was home alone, uh, with, with my children. I, I have four kids at the time. My oldest was five years old and, um, I, I was home alone with my children. They just watched my wife leave. They told me that later they were, they'd staked out my home. They watched my wife leave. They knew I was home alone with my kids. Um, and when I saw them coming up the driveway, uh, I grabbed a tablet, took my kids to the, the bedroom and said, here, play on your tablet. Daddy's going to talk to his friends. My concern was protecting their physical safety as well as their emotional, mental yeah. health and safety from, from what was about to happen. I knew they weren't, they weren't rolling up with that many cars just to have a, a conversation, you know? And so I knew they were going to arrest me. And, and that was the hardest moment probably was um, after they, they cuffed me and, and I'm, I'm in the back of their SUV. Uh, my neighbors are, are there with my, my children. Uh, my grandmother finally showed up there as well. They live you know, a couple miles down the road and, um, I remember my little girl, my oldest, uh, looking out the window, crying, wanting to know, you know, who are these guys and what are they doing with my dad type of thing? And I'm in the back of this SUV, just handcuffed and just sitting there. And you just you just feel this small right now, just knowing that your little girl is sitting there hurting and scared and there's nothing you can do to comfort her and make her feel better. And so that, that was a really that was one of the hardest moments, probably the hardest moment of that day. Wow. 
Um, so where did they take you then and how long did they initially keep you before, I guess you faced a court trial, right? Yeah. So I went to the local federal building here in West Virginia. They went down. And, and so my story's even more unique than most January Sixers, just because I was arrested so early and so quickly. Like they didn't even know what they wanted to charge me with. They just knew they had to arrest, arrest me, honestly. And so typically they will find a crime and then they will investigate and then they will arrest somebody and then go from there. But in January 6 cases, especially early on, uh, they're like, oh, this is a high profile person. Let's arrest him. We'll figure it out later. That's literally what they did. So I was I was originally charged with two misdemeanors. So they raided my home and did all that over over two simple little misdemeanors. Then they added they came back a month or so later and added two more misdemeanors. Then they offered me a verbal plea deal of choose your misdemeanor. We'll drop all the other charges. Uh, then they removed that plea offer and uh, and revoked it and then hit me with a 1512 obstruction with official proceeding, which is a uh, a 20 year felony. And so now I'm facing 24 years in prison. And, and that's something they're doing to a lot of the J6ers is uh, this, the peaceful ones, especially uh, if they want to stick it to you in some way. They're, they're taking this 1512 charge of obstruction of official proceeding. They've recommended it for President Trump as well and throw and throw it at you and hold that over your head and, and try to use that as leverage against you. Wow. And so what did what did you decide? So you had to go through many months. What did that feel like? Like, were you scared? Did you think what has happened to my country? Did you grieve uh, the sadness of the injustice of what was happening to you and many others? Well, it was it was really a roller coaster of, uh, of emotions, to be honest with you. And when, when I you know, when I found out I was uh, just being charged with these two misdemeanors and I'm like, OK, I mean, I can't believe that they did this. And then and then they added two more misdemeanors. I'm still like kind of shocked. I'm like, well, they're going to they're going to investigate this. They're going to realize that I didn't partake in any violence or anything. This is this is all going to go away. You know, it's not a, it's not a big deal. And it really wasn't until I got the phone call that they uh, were hitting me with a 20 year felony when when the things really got serious. You know, I, I remember I was in my living room. My attorney gives me a call and says, hey, uh, are, are you, are, where are you at? I told him I was at the house. And so um, he, he tells me, well, you know, I'm getting hit with that felony. And I remember I didn't tell my wife. Uh, she's playing with the kids in the living room. And I was kind of in the kitchen looking at them. And, and uh, I, I went to the bathroom. I turned on the, the fan so that she, they, nobody could hear me. And, and I remember I just started, just started crying. I just broke down in that moment. Because what I was thinking was, you know, I'm not even going to be out in time to walk my little girls down the aisle and give them away. I'm going to miss out on my, my children's entire life. And that is the most uh, devastating thing you think of in a lot of ways. That's more cruel than, than just dying, to be honest with you. I mean, I, that's really where I was at in terms of uh, the standpoint of a, of a father is I think it's more cruel to be alive and to be held somewhere knowing your kids are out here being, you know, right, growing up and, and, and you're not there and you can't be there for him. And that, that, so that's where I was at mentally. It was, it was uh, absolutely devastating. And then, um, you know, as, as I, as I'm in prison and at this point, more time, more evidence is coming out and everything. I, I, I think that's when I started really, okay, I, I, I got to do three months in prison and we'll get through this. And, and when I got out, um, I started reaching out to elected officials and nobody wanted to, to, to help us. And that's when I really started turning to more of the, uh, the righteous anger, if you will, like, uh, you know, upset, like, why is no one care? Why does no one do anything? And, you know, we have, we've had January Sixers who've committed suicide. Matthew Perna, I remember that was a turning point for me when Matthew Perna, I saw in the news that he had committed suicide. I think that was a moment where I was starting to get upset. It's like, why is no one helping us? 
you know, the, the, this pressure is unreal and we have people committing suicide and, and, and nobody cares. And, and it was, it was, it was a roller coaster to say the least, uh, throughout that 18 months. Absolutely horrendous. What you've been through. We want to show another video, um, uh, from redacted showing the Capitol police, um, opening, Oh no, that we already showed that one. No, no, we want to show the one about Nancy Pelosi possibly staging a phone call. Like this is just a, a thought, um, but take a look and give me your feedback on this. Uh, coincidentally, Nancy Pelosi and her daughter's production company had cameras ready to go and roll on the moment that something happened that day. I mean, that's amazing, right? Have a full production crew ready to go just in case. And new video emerged this weekend showing how staged the whole thing actually was. Uh, watch an alleged phone call with Mike Pence. You can hear Mike Pence on the phone, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Now, we've never seen this video before until now with this newly released footage. See if you can spot some differences between the video that was released on CNN that we've already seen. It was part of the January Select Committee was was released on HBO and also on on CNN. See the difference between the video that was released on CNN of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, and the real video that was just released. Because sometimes when you're filming a movie, you have to have multiple takes in order to get the shot just right. How many takes did they have? We only know of two. Here are two examples. Okay, did you guys notice any difference there? Um. Do you guys notice any differences? Philip, David, anybody in the chat room? Could, did you guys spot the difference? I, I just noticed a jump the cut, but I didn't really person. spot. Oh, Philip, say it. The third person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Philip, okay. The eagle-eyed observer, okay. Philip, as always. Oh, I thought it was going to be like one of those, one of those <laughs> things is no. not like the other. They filmed it twice. <laughs> okay. It's Phil, It's two different shots. With the same phone call? With the same phony phone call, like Howard Stern doing a prank. But in this, let's, can we rerun it? Because in this, in this second version of the, the, the shot, guess who pops in there? Chuck Grassley. A totally different congressman pops in. I guess they didn't catch this in their edits. Unbelievable how this whole thing is watched, staged. Look at this. So there's Chuck Schumer on the right, Nancy Pelosi in her mask. Oh, look, she's really acting it up, given that now she's, she's heard acting. this twice. She's like, wow. Now, oh, my now, gosh, now that's she's, shocking information. We got it, she now, shivered Nancy, we have like, like, We have to do the shot again, Nancy, but we really need you to be like, oh, my God. We need you to act up a little bit more this time. Can you f***ing believe this? You said F. I mean, really? She's like you said the effort. Well, what do you think of that? Uh, uh, how much acting has gone into what they've tried to pull off? Well, the whole thing has been an act. I mean, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. And there's so many different uh, things you can point to, such as that video specifically. 
Um, but the, the whole January 6th sham committee, the whole thing was an acting job. They literally hired Hollywood producers to come in and they took the audio and, and raised the volume of audio in certain aspects and added special effects to the sound of the CCT footage and everything to give it a different you know, aspect and, and everything. So, I mean, the whole thing, what everybody knows or at least knew about January 6th is 100% fabricated by the left and uh, the Hollywood producers who helped them paint this false narrative uh, surrounding January 6th. So one question that I had when you were talking about when you were arrested is you said that it was odd that the, the media showed up. So do you think that they were tipping off media to be there to get these arrests, you and others, so that it just puts out the fear of God uh, amongst people, like fearful, so, you know, terrifying everybody? A hundred percent. They definitely, without a doubt, there's no doubt in my mind, they tipped off the media uh, that the arrest was happening, uh, and they showed up there to make sure that they they got their their footage of that. And 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 you you know you got to remember too. I mean, luckily uh, I was one of the first people arrested because after that, months later, they started really ramping it up. They they basically declared uh, January six a terrorist attack, and so everybody who's who they're arresting now is treated as terrorists. And so uh, moving forward, they've literally ro rolled through communities with military tanks, helicopters, drones busting down doors, flashbanging families, pointing automatic rifles at them, all to grab a 70-year-old grandma uh, on misdemeanor trespassing charges. And so this is this is how the, the, they're treating people right now. And it's all, we've had some FBI whistleblowers who've, who've left the FBI over this and has, has started speaking out on it. And it's all because uh, when they do that, they get extra money for meeting their their quota, if you will, of arresting a domestic terrorist. So they had incentive money wise, they always got to follow the money. They had incentive to label everyone surrounding January 6th as a domestic terrorist. Um, the gentleman Ray Epps, uh, that's still, um, you know, questionable. We've seen video of him saying, you know, well, tomorrow we're going to come, we're going to go into the Capitol. And then he's there, we need to go into the Capitol. Um, have you any thoughts on this uh, fellow and why he hasn't gotten the same treatment you all have? Well, it's it's my opinion, and I want to specify that, but it's my opinion that Ray Epps is a Fed until proven otherwise. I mean, when you go look at January 6th, uh, most most of us, and you look at our charging documents and everything, uh, they, they are punishing us or coming after us over things that we said on or before January 6th. It wasn't really that our actions, if you go look at my charging documents, you're not gonna find a whole lot about the things that I actually did that day. It's all leading up to that. I, I, how dare I share a meme that says hashtag stop the steal or how dare I share a post on social media that says Trump won or when I'm there and I chanted freedom in the video that you played at the very beginning. Uh, we chanted USA, we chanted we want Trump. Chanting we want Trump is apparently a criminal offense in this country now. And so I say all that to say, uh, so many of uh, people like myself have been punished over the words that we said or the, the things we post on social media leading up to or on January 6th. But here you have a guy who has been very well documented saying way worse things than myself or so many others. And uh, he didn't really get arrested or anything for, until recently. And he's getting a slap on the wrist, to say the least, compared to so many others. So there's definitely something fishy going on there surrounding Ray Epps. Derek, what can you tell us about some of the video we saw where people are smashing windows 
and they're they clearly i mean they're they're wrecking property for bare minimum and they're trying to get in and i remember seeing another guy on a video and he's saying to the police stop them stop them like why aren't you stopping them um was there definitely people that didn't have the same heart or demeanor or patriotic intentions as you and were they caught for what they did? Yeah, so know? I mean, you got to remember, there's a million people there. There's always going to yeah. be some people who have different values and different beliefs. I think we have to, to take that for, uh, you know, and, and be honest about that. I'm not claiming that any of those people were, uh, were, were federal agents or anything. We do know that there were, uh, without a doubt, there were federal agents and paid provocateurs in the crowd. I'm not saying those uh, specific people were, because we don't know. That's why I'm excited for the footage to to get out to the American people and out to the public so we can actually get the truth surrounding that. Uh, but I think we have to accept the reality that, um, you know, there were some good people who did bad things that day. There were some good people who did stupid things that day. There were some bad people who did bad things that day. There were a lot, of, and, but by and large, it was good people who uh, did next to nothing that day and, and they're being, being all lumped in together. That's the issue. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anyone's ever going to condone, um, you know, destroying property and fighting with police officers, but, uh, they should be charged and uh, treated accordingly based on what they did. You know, no, I'm not going to defend someone, you know, their actions, I should say, I'm not going to defend the actions of breaking a window. That's not good, but someone breaking a window, they, they should not be, I don't think that's warning of the FBI to roll into their house and, 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 and swat them. And they should be facing decades in prison over this and have their entire life destroyed. It was a dumb thing to do, but I think that the punishment should fit the crime. Yeah, that's a really good point. And also, uh, you know, the excitement of the moment and maybe hearing bombs, you know, these, these, um, little, you know, things that the, the police were hurling into the crowd, uh, hearing all of that, um, it, it would amp up the adrenaline in some of these guys. But also I've seen evidence that perhaps Antifa um, had been brought in as well to just simply be provocateurs to the entire event. Yeah, there's definitely rumors of that. And I also know that um, it, the whole thing's just so fishy. Once again, why, why were they suppressing the tapes for so long? Why are they suppressing the footage? They don't want the truth out there. And then why are they hitting some uh, January 6th prisoners with gag orders? So some of the plea deals, uh, people are getting hit with gag orders. I know of a couple of people who, who for five years, they can't mention uh, anything surrounding January 6th. So I think it's, I just think there's a lot of fishy stuff going on here. I just want the truth. And, and I tell everyone, you know, look, uh, you got a group of quote unquote criminals such as myself who are begging and saying, please release the footage of our crimes to the, for the world to see. And on the other hand, you have the government who's saying, no, you're not allowed to watch it. You just have to trust us. These people are terrible. Uh, and so I, I think there's a lot to be said there. And, and we just want the truth. Whatever the truth is, uh, I, I can accept that. But this has been obviously a life-changing event for myself and so many others uh, across the, the, the country. And we just want the truth to get out there and, and we can we can go from there. And, and this is what I tell people, especially those on the left who, you know, or even some moderates or whatever, um, look, you can disagree. I, I believe that the election was stolen. Obviously, I went to, the, to, to, to protest. It's okay if you don't believe that. You can even think that I'm dumb and stupid and silly for going and protesting. You can think that I'm dumb and stupid and, and all these things for walking through an open set of doors and everything I did on, on, on that video. That, that's okay. I'm not even going to argue any of those things. But we should at least agree that I deserve due process and I should be treated accordingly based on the 
quote unquote actions or the crimes of the, the actions that I committed that day. And so I think if anyone who watches the video of what I did that day and they were looking at it from an objective point of view, and then you tell them, hey, the FBI raided my home, traumatized my, my children, ripped me away, put my fam- bankrupted my family, put us through emotional, emotional turmoil. I was facing 24 years. I went to prison for three months, had an eight days in solitary confinement. I think you would, you would say that is extreme. And I think that that's where I want to start the conversation. I don't care about the other stuff in that sense in terms of having that conversation with people. I'm, I'm willing to move 99% of, of the way over you know, to, to start that conversation with someone and say, can you at least agree that if, if what I'm saying is true, that I shouldn't be treated that way? Can we start there? And I think that's, I think that's a fair place to start. Can I ask you about the demeanor of the judge when you're actually in court? Um, did, did you think this guy was sympathetic at all? Or uh, I don't know if you had a, a male or female judge, but but you're, what you just said uh, crystallizes it. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's not just, it's not fair. It's ridiculous. How does a judge end up, uh, you know, sort of putting you in jail for three months, even when you're, you didn't know you weren't supposed to be there. No police officer told you not to be there. And you're saying, okay, don't damage anything. No vandalism. What, what were you actually charged for just walking in? Obstruction official proceeding was the big one. It doesn't even, it doesn't even fit January 6th. So to, to break this down a little bit, the, the 1512 obstruction official proceeding, that's what they used against me. It's the 20-year felony. That's what they use against most of the, the, the peaceful January 6th prisoners that they really want to stick it to them for one, one reason or another. So this crime was, uh, the code was written during the early 2000s, the insider bank trading with Enron and all of that. What was happening is people were coming in to testify into Congress about the insider bank trading. And what was happening is people were tampering with those witnesses. So they were tampering, they were bribing them, they were threatening them, they were, you know, making maybe they're forcing them to 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 be late and miss their flight or some of this. They couldn't testify, you know, all these different things. And so uh, the 1512 obstruction official proceeding, it's literally the title of this is tampering with a witness. And so it's really obstructing an official proceeding by way of tampering with a witness. And it's important to understand that. Because no one on January 6th tampered with a witness. There were no witnesses testifying before Congress that day. So, But they've taken this charge. They've thrown it against the January 6th political prisoners unconstitutionally and unjustly because they're getting away with it, quite frankly. And uh, that is what they're using to really hold it again over the heads of everyone. Now, right now, the courts are split. We've had a, uh, a lower-level court who said this is unconstitutional. It doesn't fit. So, And we've had another lower court that says the government can do whatever they want. Basically, we're hoping that the Supreme Court will will pick up and hear this this case and 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 give a proper ruling on that. It wasn't it will not help someone such as myself, but they're still arresting people every single day. People are still being arrested for January six today, and so I'm still fighting for them. I don't want them to have to go through what I went through. Wow, absolutely shocking. I I didn't realize that that they're still doing that. Now, when you saw this story, New York Rep uh, Jamal Bowman pulls fire alarm in House office building but says it was an accident. Um, <laughs> I mean, w- w- what, do you, what do you make of this kind of thing? It's sort of, it's sort of one set of rules for you guys, right? And another, another set of rules for others. I mean, uh, quite shocking that you would pull a fire alarm thinking it's a door or whatever. You know, and he oh, and he disrupted the vote That's that was going on. Yeah, he did. And so there, 
look, you can go to any elementary school in America, and if a kid pulls, uh, a seven-year-old kid pulls a fire alarm and says they did it on accident, no one would believe them. So do you really believe a, uh, you know, a, a, congressman, a member of Congress accidentally pulled a fire alarm? And then the, the, the tape comes out later, and it shows him removing the signs and, and all those things. And to your point, yeah, they were in session, and he knowingly pulled that fire alarm for the, the, the sole purpose of disrupting uh, that official proceeding. And so if the, in my opinion, for the record, I do not believe that the 1512 obstruction of official proceeding 20 year felony should apply to Congressman Bowman. I don't, I don't believe that it does. if I'm being objective, but if the courts are going to say that it applies to me and all the J sixers, then it definitely applies to that guy. What he did was way more obstructing of an official proceeding than we did. I don't think it fits for any of us, but if it applies to me, then it definitely applies to him. And, And so the court needs to um, the courts themselves need to step up in the DOJ and and be um, you know transparent and uh, some be held accountable on this. Right. Let me ask you a final question. Um, looking forward, uh, do you think that uh, Donald Trump, um, if he should be so blessed as to get in again, will he be able to pardon a good majority of those that at least were just like yourself? Absolutely. President Trump could, could issue pardons if he uh, chooses to do so. I believe uh, and trust President Trump 100%. I believe that President Trump will uh, take the time and, and go through and, and appoint a team or something, I'm sure, and they will handle each case uh, you know, on its own merits. And I believe that the people who are uh, deserving of a pardon will, will receive one uh, from President Trump. And, and I trust him 100% to make those decisions. And is your wife okay? She's been through a lot. She, Thank you for even asking that. You know, um, that's something that's got lost throughout this whole thing is that now that we're able to speak out, people are, people are hearing a little bit more. But early on, you got to remember, none of us were even able to speak to the media. We're fighting a legal battle and we know the media is our enemy, if you will. And so we can't speak out. And so for for well over a year, we were nothing more than names in a headline. You know, the, the, the people did there were no there was no humanizing us. There was no human aspect of it. And so. Uh, the family members have went through in some ways more. And, and the reason I say that is, I mean, if, if, if you're married or have a family or a mother or whatever, like if you ask someone, would you rather go through a hardship or watch the person you love go through a hardship knowing you can't help them? And I think everybody would rather be the person going through the hardship. And so um, it's very difficult on the families to to watch the people that they love you know, being attacked this way, not just the media, but, you know, even in criminal charges and such. And so, yeah, uh, my my family's doing, doing pretty, pretty good now. Um, You know, there's still a lot of emotional recovery. No, that's going to have to, going to take some time to heal, honestly. I mean, the PTSD is real. Get a random pounding on your door you're not expecting, your heart drops and you instantly think, oh my gosh, are they coming to, to get me again? And and I'm sure she has those those same thoughts. We, we discuss that. And it's not it's not unique to us. Everybody in the January 6th community has those same thoughts, those same fears. And and so, um, but yeah, thank you for asking about them. My, my, my children are finally uh, at the point where they're not afraid of police officers. Uh, that, that took a lot of work on, on our part. You know, I don't want them to be fearful of police officers, and but they're only really interaction with them was the day that they came and, and ripped me away. And so that's what they thought. And so it was, it was, it took some work to make them understand that, you know, um, it, it, it's okay. And so, but thank you for asking that. I really appreciate it. Yes. Well, the whole time that you've been talking, I've been thinking about what your wife, what your children would be going through. And uh, it, it truly is just an American tragedy, but you know, God is God and he is always able to take what 
the enemy meant for evil and turn it to good. And I just look at the strength that you have. Uh, God's given you a real insight into the, the problem uh, of justice, the problem of, you know, the right versus the left. Really, really, we're at a place uh, where it's, it's actually a, a crisis. And this next election, 2024, I think that Donald Trump's going to be able to run. Uh, there's prophetic words that he's supposed to get in. Um, <laughs> Kim Clement's prophecy that he would be in for two terms is not fulfilled. And he was a very accurate prophet. And it looks like that some things can turn around. But I can just see that uh, God, in a way, he entrusted you with this. Like, this was not easy. This was hell to pay. And he entrusted you because your character was really beautiful. I mean, when, when you hear you uh, walking in, you can see your video that you're, you're not a, a troublemaker, you're doing the right thing, you're even elected, an elective you know, official in the country, you're doing the right thing, but that God would actually entrust you with such a trial. I think it says a lot about you and also that he's, he's going to use this in the future. Who knows where you'll be? Who knows after what you've learned, how you'll be able to be a great effect on the United States of America and the world because we face injustice here in Canada as well. We have in Canada, just so you know, you might not know this, we have four guys imprisoned uh, from being arrested at the Coots border during sort of that freedom, the truckers and the freedom... Uh, fight that we had, and it has not been uh, a just due process. And so in a small way, we are um, experiencing what what has gone on there, but only in a small way. But it's not small to these guys who've, who've been in jail almost two years. These are the amazing guys, Anthony, Jerry, Chris, and Chris. And we pray for them, and we stand with them. I speak to them from jail. But uh, the justice system, it looks like the elites that you spoke about are doing their work across the world. And so your strength is really inspiring. And I love how you're able to communicate so well about what happened to you, uh, you know, when you were in um, solitary confinement and all of that. I hope that your, your story gets bigger. Are you able to write a book or something like that? Yeah, actually, I, I, I did write a book from prison. It's only up to the point of going to prison. It's it's on Amazon and such right now. It's called A Political Prisoner, The Untold Story of uh, January 6th. And nice. you can find that on there. And uh, if you have time, I'd love to say something uh, about yes. the uh, the four patriots there in Canada. If you guys could bring them uh, back up on there, I'd, I'd love to, to, to touch on something I think is really important. I get emotional uh, thinking about it. But you guys have no idea. It's, it's, this is mainly, I know this is a Canadian audience. You guys need to write these men letters. And I'm telling you that um, from someone who was there, they don't know how much support they have on the outside, if that makes sense. They don't, they don't have that because they don't see it. And the only way they can see it and then you can hear it and feel it is when you take the time to write them letters. I remember sitting uh, in prison and I, I got letters from the American people and uh, it was a turning point for me. It was, and I tell everyone, I broke my days down when I got out of solitary confinement and into general population, I broke my days down into two separate segments. The morning is when I had my phone call with my family. And after that, I would look forward to 4 p.m. because I knew at 4 p.m. it was going to be mail call and it was going to get a letters from American patriots all across the country who were showing me support. That was my second wind 
every single day to get me through one of the hardest moments of my life. You guys can do that for these men right here. Write them a letter. It don't You don't have to say anything special. You don't have to say anything at all. You can just let them know that you're praying for them, and that's it. It's something that small. Send them a postcard if Canadian prisons allow that. I don't know. I had people just send postcards. You guys have no idea how much of a difference you could make for these four men right here if you would just take the time, 30 seconds, to write them a letter. And, and that would mean the world to me. Wow. Thank you very much from somebody who knows that that is so yep. good. And I do hope that we'll all do that. Well, we've got people watching you online from across the world right now. Uh, this is oh, a awesome. very hot topic. And so uh, we got a good audience watching. So thank you for what you've done. Could you just spout off one more time the name of your book on Amazon? Yeah, it's called Political Prisoner, uh, The Untold Story of January 6th. You can find that on if you search political prisoner on Amazon. I should have brought one out here. I have one in the house. I could have, could have show, showed you guys what it looked like. Actually, actually, I have one right, right over there. Give me one second. Yeah, go ahead. You know, it strikes me that um, that these guys, one of, one of the horrible things that happens is that they've gone bankrupt having to defend themselves. And the, the people in Canada are pretty much at the point you're talking about, too. So, you know, they they remortgage and double mortgage their homes and everything they have to try to do this. So um, if there's any way we can help you purchasing your book or whatever, yeah. that God would restore to you the fortunes that the enemy has stolen. Well, I, I wrote this from prison, actually. it's uh, it, it shares my story leading up to going to prison. So I, I don't include any of the prison stuff in there because uh, I was in prison, <laughs> prison when I was, sorry, my lights are shot on it. Uh, but yeah, this uh, it, it's a short book. It's not super long, but it goes into the detail of uh, leading up to January 6th. It goes into uh, the, the the events and things that my family went through as we we're fighting our, for our freedom and just uh, that side of things. And like I said, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not an author by any means, but I, I try to put, you know, I didn't want to waste my time in prison. I didn't want to let them just take three months of my life away from me. So I would sit down and uh, and start writing this. And, and I'll tell you why I was in there also, uh, uh, I took daily notes in prison. I'm going to have a, a, another one that's going to come out at some point uh, of just uh, what it was like being in solitary confinement and in prison and all that. I just haven't had time to to do that yet, but I took daily notes while I was in there and mailed them home to myself so I'd have them uh, for, for, for the future. Uh, but yeah, I wrote, I wrote this. It was just kind of a reflection uh, of, of what our family went through during that time. So yeah, I would love to if you guys would do that and and uh, give it a review if you if you like the book or whatever, and we'd appreciate it. You know, uh, Derek, I have a great idea for you. It's super easy to write a book these days. So you would just uh, get the script off of the the interviews that you're probably doing with lots of people, including myself. And, you know, great questions. You had great answers to what, what actually happened to you in solitary confinement. Uh, put it through chat GPT or whatever. Let it go. listen, you know, get get the script. I think there's people that do scripts for like 16 bucks or something. They're They're online. They'll do a whole script for you. And then that'll just become your book in no time. Just sit down with somebody and you won't even have to think or try to, you know, yeah. and then you can just add little bits and pieces, but it'll do it all for you. Chat GPT is like a life changer I'm finding for myself it, right it, now. It really, it really is. I'm not going to lie. And, and you're, you're <laughs> correct. I mean, I've, I've shared basically so much information, uh, you know, about just the, yeah. even, even prison itself, you know, there, it's fascinating to me that, uh, so I travel around the country and I speak at different events and, and just share the truth about 
January 6th, weaponization of government and just anything else for that matter. And, and, and I always open it up to, to the audience to ask questions afterwards. And I always get questions, you know, just about what it was like to be in prison, you know, and I think that people are fascinated by it uh, just in general, because it, I'm someone who I guess you wouldn't expect uh, to go to prison for what I committed, you know, and so it's like what I, I think people can kind of see themselves, if you will, like just a normal person who ended up going to prison. And I think they're kind of fascinated by that. But um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was a definitely an interesting experience, to say the least. Uh, absolutely fascinating. It's been great talking to you. Um, we'd love to have you come to Canada. Would you come and do that sometime? Like, I know yeah, I'm putting I'm you on the spot, but I'm we do events, to, yeah. right? I would love to. If I'm allowed, yeah. Yep. So, well, we've got your contact and we'll let you know when it's happening. And we just love to bring you up to share with the Canadian audience. We've definitely been uh, following this and this, there's probably no more famous story in the world than, than this. So thank you for, for all that you've done. Thank you for being willing to share, not just, you know, be, becoming reclusive, angry, bitter, because you could, but yeah. you've actually used this. Um, this is going to change America. Your stories will change everything. And we do, uh, pray that God will bless America and bring justice and in the form uh, you know, getting uh, Joe Biden. It's pretty hysterical to watch your president right now. He's he's just barely functioning. I mean, he should be in an old folks home enjoying a cup of coffee and tea in the afternoon. And yet, you know, he's pretending that he's able to actually do what a president needs to do to keep his country safe. Absolutely. It's elder abuse, what they're doing to him. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Thank you so much, Derek. Thank you, guys. Uh, have a great have day. A, God bless you. Yeah, guys. have a great day. God bless your family. Thank you. Take care. Really, really enlightening, isn't it? I learned things today that I didn't know this whole time about uh, everything that happened January 6th. So we just pray God's blessing on Derek. Um, one more time, JT, Political Prisoner, The Untold Story of January 6th. You know, if you wanted to just help a guy out, like just buy his book, you know, if he sold 50,000 of those, maybe he'd, you know, uh, be able to recoup. Imagine what they've been through. Um, having compassion on this family is just so important. So I wanted to tell you that um, we've got a, 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 so a few things to still show you. We've got some amazing video of what's going on in the world, but... Um, with the chat GPT, it just kind of reminded me like this morning, I had to head off to a bank to change signers on our account, our, on our business account and stuff like that. I have board members because we're a charity. And that's why when you donate, which we really appreciate, you get a tax receipt and the end of the year is coming up. So um, keep that in mind. Thank you. You know, there's not that many shows where you can just sit here and get like real life stories presented in the way that we do. And we've been telling you the truth for four years where others haven't. But so I'm at the bank and I was telling the guy there that uh, chat GPT did the annual general meetings. Basically, you know, you just, you know, talk into to chat GPT and you say, I need an annual general meeting, board of directors, meeting minutes and, you know, uh, opening with prayer, because that's what we do at our meetings. And, you know, we ask the Lord to help us and then we go through different things. And so, you know, the signing directors was one of them, but it, it literally, once I just talk, text it, you know, I talk, text it into chat GPT and I say, you know, I need meeting minutes. It just does it. It's just like, brrr, all of a sudden it's all there. So all of you who are doing things the hard way. So I use open AI, um, 
is it OpenAI? Yeah, ChatGPT. And I've just got it now where I can just get to it really easy. But OpenAI, capital AI. And you can get like, uh, you can have an account that you pay 20 bucks so you get a little bit extra. I did that part because it also does graphics for you for different things that you're doing, which, you know, we're, <clears throat> we do a lot of, uh, you know, things and things online and all of that. So anyways, chat GPT life changer. Don't be thinking that you got to sit there in front of the computer and type it all yourself. No, you just uh, look at chat GPT. This is what a friend told me. Chat GPT is like your best friend who's the smartest person in the whole world and you just get to sit there and ask it questions. So a lot of you send me info and I check it through chat GPT. And of course, you know, you should always double check all your sources. So super fun. All right. Um, should we do uh, the video on Jen Psaki's MSNBC? JT? Show representative Dan Goldman has a thought about what should be done to prevent Donald Trump from running for president again. Take a look also turn to Trump, of course, and just some of what the reporting has been around uh, some of his conversations. Also, as we anticipate a year full of trials next year, I want to take a listen to part of a conversation that he had with uh, ABC's Jonathan Carl about January 6th and get your thoughts on the other end. You told them you were going to go up to the Capitol. Were you just... I was, no, I was going to, and the Secret Service said you can't. And then by the time I would have, and then when I got back, I saw I wanted to go back. I was thinking about going back during the problem to stop the problem, doing it myself. Secret Service didn't like that idea too much. So, so what... And I could so have done that. And you know what? I would have been very well received. So there's been so much speculation, contemplation, discussion of what Trump wanted to do, what he knew or didn't know. I mean, do you think as a prosecutor or a prosecutor, this is something that could be useful in the case against Trump? How will it be used? Yeah, well, I mean, look, he says uh, I would be well received because he knows that the people who were there are his supporters who he riled up and incited to invade and riot at the Capitol and try to disrupt the proper counting of the Electoral College votes. So every time he talks, he's uh, putting himself into a bigger criminal hole. Uh, but the, but his, that's not his objective. His objective mm -hmm. is purely political at this point. Uh, politics don't work in a courtroom, as I think he's finding out in the mm -hmm. New York Attorney General case in New York, a civil case, and, and that's going to continue in his criminal trials. But his rhetoric is really getting dangerous, more and more dangerous. And we saw what happened on January 6th when he uses inflammatory rhetoric now, and his recent True Social post uh, is incredibly, incredibly scary for anyone uh, that might be trying to op work in government. And um, it is just uh, unquestionable questionable at this point that that man cannot see public office again. He is not only unfit, he is destructive to our democracy, uh, and he has to be, uh, he has to be eliminated. Oh, he has to be eliminated. Scary. Scary that somebody wants all of the corruption to be brought to an end that he would expose the crazy left agendas that have been destroying North America. And I say North America so I can include Canada in there because open borders policy, all of the different things that they have. I won't say too much more because we're still on.
platforms. Um, Iranian activists and journalists, um, Massey Alinejad, has some good advice for Justin Trudeau. Take a look. So why do you think the Canadian government is not doing more to stop these people from coming to Canada? You know, this question should be asked um, in front of Prime Minister Trudeau. I want you to sit down and, and, and ask I, this question. I would actually love to give you his response because we, we did ask him you that. You did. And what his response was is that the government will continue to do everything necessary <sighs> to cliche. hold the regime accountable. They say they've criminalized them so they are not allowed to enter Canada, but they have not designated the IRGC as a, as a terror entity, which some activists here say is necessary. You know, th these are cliche and an empty word. And Prime Minister Trudeau, I want to use this camera and talk to you directly. Don't be scared of me and women like, you know, you and critical journalists and Iranian Canadians in Canada. We love Canada. We love peace and security and democracy. We love Canada to be a shelter for, you know, decent people. And you're putting the lives of Canadians in danger. So I want to meet you. That's all I can say, because otherwise he's going to come up with a lot of empty words saying that we stand with the people of Iran. No, please sit down and make decisions how to protect uh, human rights, how to protect democracy in Canada. That's very important. I was the one four years ago in Canadian Parliament. I warned Prime Minister Trudeau's government that put the Revolutionary Guards on the terrorist list. They didn't. What happened? The same Revolutionary Guards killed Iranian Canadians by shooting down the Ukrainian airplane. So that's why when we warn Prime Minister Trudeau, it means that we know the danger is coming. Now Revolutionary Guards are everywhere, everywhere, sponsoring Hamas to kill um, civilians in Israel. Good for her. There's a lady who seems to have a handle on the truth. I'm a little bit surprised at those who are in our country who came here because they love peace and yet they're down in these protests. If you have watched the civilians of Canada protesting, um, saying very hateful things and warmongering and anti-Semitic remarks and in support of Hamas, in our country. I appreciate a lady like her. See, people like that, we can all live together. We can be multicultural. We can have different colors of skin and we can be together. But when one group begins to want the annihilation of another group for no other reason than that they exist, that's a problem. And that's what we're seeing. And I just recently read an article that was basically saying that because of what's being exposed, you know, we don't want to shut down free speech. No, march all you want. Because every time we as normal people in Canada see these protests and we see that you're all calling for violence, against Israel after what just happened on October 7th and basically what's been happening since 2005 when they turned over the Gaza Strip to the Palestinians. Hamas took over in 2007 and it's been nonstop hell ever since. And 
If Palestinians support Hamas, as some polls show right before this all happened, that there's a lot of support for Hamas, well, you know, we, we don't know where to go with that. So when you're on the streets and you're showing us who you are, we're actually getting stronger and more fortified in our position that we need stronger laws and stronger protections. And everyone who speaks like this should potentially have to get put on terror lists and anyone who's committed violent acts and deportation. Deportation should become a big thing, a big thing. You want to march in, speak anti-Semitic remarks, start calling for the decimation of a people group. If you're not from here originally, you should be deported because Canada is a peace-loving place. It's supposed to be. Um, Alberta Premier... The what? Oh, the handwritten, yeah. Do you want me to do that? Okay, yes, go ahead. Photos from kibbutz. So this is uh, still images. So this is a kibbutz, uh, Kir Allah, after the attack. I see, when they showed up that day. So this was where people lived. You know what I had worked and, and, and were? And the, some of the, the way that intel was gathered um, in order for them to make these kinds of attacks without the um, Israeli army being aware is because these areas were kind of trusted areas. They had Palestinians that would come in and work every day. And so some of these Palestinians were recognized and they then used this intel and this freedom they had to come into these areas and they, they use that in order to gain access. The other thing too is in seeing the video um, that has been found of all of these artillery stockades uh, right in a room that is clearly meant for children because it has big trees, you know, and, and big drawings all over the walls like for children. And this place, and it's being kept right beside schools, they basically use people as human shields. That's what Hamas has done. And so when they uh, have taken over Shiva Hospital in the Gaza Strip, they have not destroyed it. They actually have airlifted out babies, uh, pre preemie babies, to get to, to Egypt to be taken care of. They didn't blow the place up. And I admire and respect that Netanyahu has, has made ways for the Palestinians to get out of Gaza, even as Hamas was blocking them. Can you imagine? I don't, I don't understand any mind that could be supportive of these uh, sick thugs and demonically inspired animal people, Hamas, that did this. But I do pray that one thing comes out of this, that the freedom for the Palestinian people to not be under the tyranny of Hamas will be taken care of. Because the moment that's taken care of, it's going to be peace in Israel. Because Israel is not looking to take more land. They've, they've given up. They offered 
the Palestinians, the West Bank, 97, 95, 97% was offered to them and the Gaza Strip as a, you know, a way to, to have peace. No, they didn't want that. So I don't, I don't know what to say. Um, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith rakes opposition NDP over the coals over its support of the carbon tax. Take a look. Wish the member opposite would stand up for Albertans for a change here, rather here. than take marching orders from the federal NDP leader. The one thing that is driving the affordability crisis, as we know, is the carbon tax, which they implemented. Right. We tried to get rid of, and here, here. her federal leader won't let us do it. If they had just agreed to eliminate the carbon tax, it would reduce inflation 16 percent, right. which means we wouldn't have to see an increase in interest rates, which means people could afford to buy a house as well. Maybe she should stand up for Alberta. Good stuff. Keep it up, Danielle Smith. Uh, keep making good decisions and uh, stand up for your province. I absolutely love it. Wish we had somebody standing up for British Columbia, but no, NDP, terrible. Uh, Ned uh, Ryan, I guess, appearing on Laura Ingram, talking about the WEF turning us into serfs. Take a look. No, you have it correct. I mean, first of all, we have to accept the World Economic Forum is a fanatical political organization that uses fear and manipulation like COVID hysteria, like the hoax of global warming, to really facilitate people thinking that somehow they're the saviors, but really all you're doing is helping them accomplish their goal, which really is a global public-private fascist movement and fusion of big government, big tech, big money, to create a technocratic ruling elite, which conveniently is them. And, and really, Laura, if you want to look at it a different way, too, with the World Economic Forum, they want to create feudalism 2.0, in which we are serfs and they are the lords ruling over us. You'll, you'll have nothing and be happy is one of the, the things that comes out of Davos. That's what they're aiming for. They're aiming for feudalism in which we are serfs and, and we should be happy that they are, are ruling over us. Not going to happen. Ron Paul uh, is interviewed by Glenn Beck. Love Glenn Beck. I uh, hope that you can catch some of the stuff that he's putting out uh, lately. And uh, he also talks about the WEF uh, wanting to violate all of human nature. The World Economic Forum. They are, uh, I mean, truly frightening. Uh, this is a group of elites that... You know, every conspiracy theory, every, you know, star chamber movie is it, it's almost like a parody of itself. Uh, you know, they've got a guy with a German accent. It leads it a bald bond villain. Uh, and they are they. They they truly believe that they can take the world and violate all of human nature and make uh, a new world. What are your thoughts on the World Economic Forum? Well, it should be disappeared, yeah. <laughs> intellectually speaking, because, uh, yes, it is a powerful force, and they're using the same tools that I'm advocating for liberty. Uh, they, I mean, you take a guy like Soros and others before, before the World Economic Council came, that, uh, that, that they got a hold of the educational system and then they moved along from there. Our universities were there. And even this, oh, with COVID, it looks like they've taken 
over completely the medical profession, yeah. which is really sad and uh, scary. That, that uh, yeah, and <clears throat> but uh, at the same sense, a few people have uh, awakened. Uh, they they know this, and uh, more people did. More people know what's went on during the lockdown yeah. than they did. Before the lockdown, yeah, and that, and they're they're looking like the American people are ready to resist that. They are the bad news, and uh, the only thing I can think of is counteract it with the good news of what liberty is all about. Hmm. So we all know that the WF's a uh, a real problem, but um, I think we just have to keep an eye on what our governments are doing and fight it at every single level. Um, we're going to be talking about 15-minute um, cities and also this other thing, C40 cities, and that's um, on an interview coming up very, very soon. Uh, one more thing I want to share with you before I let you go, but um, basically uh, Blacklock's uh, reporting, um, they've done an, uh, you know, an article uh, calling uh, out Christmas colonial bias Christmas is discriminatory, says a Canadian Human Rights Commission report. Observance of Jesus' birth is an obvious example of religious bias rooted in colonialism, wrote the commission. No one is free until we are all free. Um, so I think there's the rest of it. Oh, okay. It goes into, and, and basically colonialism and religious intolerance, you know, um, so... Uh, you know, we've been fighting the whole Christmas thing. There's been Xmas. Um, if any damage happened, I think with with COVID, when we weren't allowed to gather with families, that was just such a hit, eh? That we all took on that. And uh, I just pray for the day when we are getting back to celebrating Christmas huge. Go big, everybody! Get all those Christmas lights onto your homes. Be the best home in the in the entire neighborhood, right? Go all out. Ask the Lord to provide a little bit of extra funds to get a nice big tree and get your Christmas stuff up early. And let's go big for Christmas this year. Let's like just, just hit it out of the park because Christmas is one of those beautiful, beautiful times. I'll never forget, you know, growing up and that, that tender, calm sense that I had at Christmas time. It was such a special moment in, in our home with my mom and dad. And, and um, you know, when, when the kids were little and how awesome it was. I mean, other than, do you remember when, uh, you know, there was this time where Aaron, um, our youngest, he took all the Christmas presents and uh, he unwrapped them in a room in another part of the house. And we thought we'd been robbed. <laughs> <So> <laughs> He went in there and he's like, <laughs> so he, all, all the presents just totally like he thought they were all for him, I guess. But <laughs> anyways, he's all grown up, doesn't do stuff like that anymore. Hey, my website's laurelin.tv. Thank you very much for watching. Thanks for being with us. Uh, we really appreciate you. Thank you for supporting us. Um, we're here just doing life together. You know, part of the fun of, of all of this, you know, like spending your day, getting your coffee, whatever you do. Maybe you're doing housework and you just put Laura Lynn live on, on the side. Well, you'll, you'll hear good stuff. We have amazing guests because of the fabulous Toby Carson. Uh, we've got amazing production and administration because of the lovely Dominique. We've got 
you know, people working to make sure that our Twitter, um, you know, clips are awesome and that the show is stellar. And all of that, it just, it does take a little bit of money. Although we do this, wouldn't you say JT in the cheapest, absolute cheapest possible way, <laughs> you know? Uh, we barely make any money at this, but it's, it's super good. And, and you know what? Because of your kindness, we survive. Because of your kindness, we just keep going. You know, when we have lean months, we go, okay, and we just trust the Lord. But because of your kindness, because you see value in this and you support us, it changes everything. And we appreciate you from the bottom of our hearts. So stay with us. Hey, in the next day or so, we're going to show you um, a little segment that we had with Steve Merrill. And he's the guy we always tell you to, you know, uh, check him out, talk to him about your savings, about investing in gold and silver. Um, and he's going to do the presentation that he did at the Era of Champions. And so if you're looking for what you should be doing with your funds, you'll want to stay tuned. Uh, we'll try to get him up in the next day or so. We need to like coordinate it into the show because it's not a very long presentation, right, JT? But if you wanted to get the, the gold and silver information up right now, that'd be super cool if you wanted to do that. Do you want to? All right, go ahead. Where's the Sun City Silver? Oh my God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why don't I just do everything? Okay. Oh no, I love you. No, no big deal. You know, sometimes JT's busy because in the trolls, in the, uh, in all of the feed, he has to get rid of the people that are slagging on us. Yeah, one lady, so sweet, she wrote to me and she said, wow, I was reading all the comments because yesterday, if you missed yesterday's show with the amazing uh, Dr. Uh, Nazarian, I think. Um, so she was born in Iran and grew up as a Jew there. And so she had just incredible insider information. But somebody wrote me and said, wow, like I see the, the <clears throat> backlash that you get from some of the things that you, you know, some of the truths that you're telling and this lady's experience and all of that. Oh, people are just losing their ever loving minds right now. All the anti-Semites just coming out strong. So I don't, I don't care. Um, we just stand strong in the Lord. Psalms 96 says, sing to the Lord, a new song, sing to the Lord, all the earth, sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Does he have salvation for us? Does he have a day of being saved? Is there a moment ever again in Canada where we go, look what the Lord has done. He rescued us from those who were too powerful for us. He rescued us for those, from those who wanted to take our very lives. That God rescued us from, from the elitist, from the cabal, we talk about them. Do we trust God to be in charge? When wickedness prevails and we do not see the hand of God moving for us, are we able to praise God? Do we sing to him? Do we proclaim his salvation day after day? Because sometimes it doesn't look like he's there. Sometimes you're like, God, don't you think you should have removed Trudeau by now? The guy's a menace. He's evil. There's all this corruption. 
I, I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. It's a mess, Lord. Don't you think that you could just lick your baby finger and get rid of him? And God's like, well, not today. When is the day, though? When is the day when God decides to move and it is an unstoppable overthrowing of evil? Whether that's in our country or the United States of America, <clears throat> I look for that day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Is he marvelous? Oh, he is so marvelous. I can, I can proclaim that for myself in my own life, that he has got me through the nastiest times. He has protected me. He's healed my heart from a lot of pain. He's got me through financial strain. He's got me through difficulties in relationships, career challenges. <clears throat> you have no idea how many times I've been fired. I mean, it's always for different reasons, but I don't seem to be able to keep a job. <laughs> Even when I'm doing exactly what God told me to do. But God's so faithful that he's never let me down. If you're going through any kind of challenge right now, I just want to let you know he is marvelous in his works. And sometimes he lets us sit there in a problem so long that we wonder if he's even paying attention or knows that there's a problem here. But if we will faithfully keep trusting him day after day, declaring how marvelous are his works, how faithful is our God, when he sees you doing that, he says they're ready. They never gave up. They've come through the trial. They've come through the testing and they were successful. And how many of you, you can talk to yourself in your living room right now. Have you seen him come through? Have you seen him perform an upside down crazy miracle on your behalf? where in a day when that happens, you just have to sit back and go, surely God is fully in charge of everything. You might not have seen it for a while, but suddenly there he is. Good. We'll see you tomorrow. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.